Be seated, church. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to the book of Ephesians today. The book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one underneath the chair in front of you. We would love for you to open that blue Bible up with us. Uh, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is powerful. If you're in that blue Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, where we're going to be together, is on page 977. 977. And maybe you need a Bible. Maybe you don't have a Bible. Take that blue one home with you. Please take that blue one home with you. Uh, We'd love for that to be our gift to you. Um, The Word of God is so precious to us. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, looks like we're just all about there. Ephesians is a letter written to a church, much like this one, about what Jesus has done and how we are to live knowing what he has done for us. Okay, seems like we're almost there. If you're not quite there, keep turning, but let's go ahead. Would you join me? Let's pray over this time together. Father God, we need you at every moment of our life. And Father, we need you in this moment. Father, we are not just approaching a book. We do not want to hear preacher's ideas about things, his opinions. Father, we want to hear what you would say to us as individuals and to us as Trinity Baptist Church. Father, what we're about to, what we're about to see is a, is a banquet of grace and goodness and kindness that you have poured out to us. Father, we pray that that stirs in us an affection for you, an appreciation for you and what you have given us. And Father, may that spur us on. May the good that you have shown us spur us on to love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. What's the best call you ever received? What's the best phone call you ever received? I don't know about you, but I'm getting a lot of, of, of spam phone calls lately. Anybody else? Maybe they know I'm just a sucker. Maybe no one else gets that. I'm getting a lot of those. Right? I don't like those. What's the best call you ever received? Get, get this. You, you, know those, uh, you know those people who will, uh, will, will be in malls, and they'll set up these cars, and they'll say, come and sign up to win a car. You know those, those places? And you know, some of them, there was one in Kansas City, Missouri, that had, come, sign up, give us some of your information, and you could win $64,000. Some of y'all are thinking, did you win that, Pastor? My sister signed up for one of those, filled it out, Left it there, forgot all about it, and in a couple weeks, guess what? She got the best, almost the best call of her entire life. 
They said, hi, are you Ashley Hodges? Well, I've got good news for you. You won $64,000. And she said, oh my goodness. She started spending the money already in her head. They said, great, all I need to do is confirm that you're 18 years old. And she was 17 years old. And so she didn't get the money. Can you believe it? What a twist. What a twist. But for a moment, that was the greatest thing she ever heard. That was the greatest phone call she ever received. What's your greatest call? Today, I know. I know the answer. Even if we might be thinking about this call, that call. Maybe you got a call from your kids saying that you're a grandparent for the first time. Who knows what your call is. But I I, I can tell you what the real greatest call is in all of our lives, are. Every person in this room, we believe God is calling you. Christians, maybe you remember this call. God is calling you. He's beckoning you to come to Him. And this is a greater gift than $64,000. This is a greater gift than some some car. It's a greater gift than even getting a call about a granddaughter, grandson. This is a call to be in a relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. He says, come. Be with me. It's a great, the grace of God to call me when I was in my sin dead in sins and transgressions. God called me. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about this call that God has made on your life, Christian. And if you're not a Christian here today, we want to tell you that God is calling you to Himself today. We're going to talk about that call and then we want to talk about what our life is like after receiving that call from God. Let's read this together. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, big number 4, and we're going to read the little number 16 together. It goes like this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, he's talking about Christians, the church, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when, er, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay. As we talked about last week, we're going to talk about what we are going to be doing as a church in the next few weeks. And to start there, we need to talk about what it means to be the church. And to talk about what it means to be the church, we need to talk about this calling that we have received, Christians. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 is a, I think, the most beautiful piece of Scripture in the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes to this church so that they will remember all the things that God has called them to. What does it mean? What does a calling mean? He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What does that mean? A calling is when God beckons you to become who He has created you to be. That's our calling. When God looks at you and beckons you to become who He has created you to be. And so these, the first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul tells us who God has created us to be. He tells us who He has called us to be. And he starts it out this way. Are you ready? Christian, may this be a reminder to you who you are in Christ. Non-believer, understand that this is what God is calling you to be. What, call, who, who, what He is calling you to do. God's looking at you. Come. Be raised from spiritual death. Paul tells us what we said at the beginning. He says, you, church, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. What can dead men and women do? Besides drop their bottle, water bottle. What can dead men and women do? Nothing. I remember growing up as a kid. My, my grandma lived across the street from a cemetery and I would look out the window and I would peek out there and I'd say, I'm not sleeping here. They're right across the road. I'm not sleeping here. And I remember my dad would say, hey, dead people can't do anything. Go to sleep. In our sinful state, before we met Christ, Christians, we were dead in our sins. Dead men and women cannot do anything. We were six feet under in the grave. In our sinfulness, we had become dead people to God. Not good for anything. Not doing righteous acts. Not being nice people. Not being kind people. We were dead. And God saw you, Christian, in your grave. And He calls you. Come. Let me raise you from spiritual death. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul says, God calls us in this way, come, have your sins 
washed clean under the cross of Christ. Isn't that great news? He says this in Ephesians 1, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses and sins, according to the riches of His grace, in which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Christian, aren't you, I am, aren't you so appreciative that God has called you to be forgiven of all your sins. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But before I came to Christ as a teenager, I was drowning in the guilt of my sin. Have you ever felt that? Before I came to Christ, I felt the burden of my sinfulness. I couldn't sleep. I knew I had this sin, and I knew that there was a holy and good God, and I knew that I was not like Him at all. And I felt that guilt. And I remember... I remember the feeling of when I realized the gospel for the first time and I I realized that God was calling me. He says, come, all those sins that are causing you sleepless nights, come, be forgiven. Isn't that great news? And not only that, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, come, and receive every good thing worth having forever. Listen to this, Christian. Listen to this. God has called you. Yes, He's called you out of spiritual grave. He's called you into forgiveness through the cross of Christ. And He has called you to give you everything good forever. Paul tells us this in chapter 2 of Ephesians, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Is there anything more valuable than having the creator of the universe call you to receive from him every good thing? Is there anything greater than that? No, He has called us to receive every good thing. And how do we earn this? How do we get this? My sister earned that call because she filled out the right card and they pulled her. She earned it that way. How do we earn this? How do we get this? This is incredible. He calls us. He says, I will raise you spiritually from the dead. I will wipe away your sins. I will give you every good thing for eternity. And how do we earn this? Where's the small print? Paul says this calling is free. He says this, for by grace, a free gift, through faith, you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This spiritual resurrection, this every good thing, this wiping clean your sinfulness is given to you 
through a free gift. We don't earn it. This calling, we do not earn it. He says, in my graciousness, in my mercy, because I am giving, I give this to you, not because you earn it, not because you deserve it, but because I love giving things to sinners. Isn't that great news? And Paul tells us this calling. And all these things stem from from what I'm about to say, the spiritual resurrection, the every good thing, the renewed relationship with God, the forgiveness of sins, all through grace, all by grace through faith alone and not works. All of these things stem from this relationship. Paul tells us, God calls us, come, be adopted into my family. Paul tells us in chapter 1, he predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. I mean, think about that. Jordan Hodges, in his sinfulness, I mean, I was a preacher's kid. I grew up in the church. I was... I was a deacon in diapers. I knew all the right answers. I knew all the right Sunday school answers. I, I had passages memorized, and, and yet I was still a sinner, and my sin was, was drowning me, and I could feel that. I knew what God's law was. I knew how much of a sinner I was, and I was in the church, and so my hypocrisy of, of looking like a Christian, acting like a Christian, and yet not being right with God through faith, thinking that I can earn all that hypocrisy. And he doesn't call me like, like I'm buying salvation at Walmart. He says, come and do the right transaction and then go live your life. He doesn't call us and say, I'll fix you and then, then you go lone wolf it in the world. He says, no, this calling is you become my son. My beloved son, me. Christian, this is our story that you and I went from the enemy of God to an adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. And so now we look at these things, these callings, and we say, what God is doing is God is just loving his children. Of course, he calls us to be adopted. He is not going to let his children remain in the grave. Christian, you are his child. He is not going to withhold from you any good thing. Christian, you are his child. He is going to forgive you of everything that you have done. Our calling Our calling as Christians is this. Come, take your place as a beloved child of God and receive all good things He has in store for His sons and daughters. And I am afraid, I am afraid, I am afraid 
that that calling gets lost in my everyday life. That calling gets lost. I forget that. It becomes blasé. It becomes old news. But there's nothing greater in my life. Hear me, hear me. There's nothing greater in my life than realizing, me realizing and, and, and being reminded of my great sinfulness. And yet God reached down And in the depths of my sinfulness, while I was still a sinner, while I did nothing to earn it, God the Father reached down and said, I want that one as a son. I mean, really, when I break it down like that, that's mind-blowing. That God would love me like I love my son Judah. What a calling. And Christian, God loves you like that. Non-believer, God is calling you. Come, partake in this. Trust in Jesus. And so, Christian, this is the monumental calling that we have received from God. He has called us into this. And so Paul is telling this church, he's reminding this church of the calling that we have in the gospel of Jesus, that he died on the cross for us to take the punishment for our sins so that God could be just in punishing our sins and the justifier in forgiving those with faith in Jesus. He reminds us of that. And then he says, now, what do we do? What does life look like when we realize this? And he brings us to chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. All these things that God has given us. Paul says, now, since you know that, you know that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God, now walk like it. Walk in a manner befitting of a child of the Most High God. And this tells us two things. Number one, there is a walk that is fitting for the children of God. There is a lifestyle that is right for the children of God. There is a way, there is a walk that makes our Father sad. And there's a way, there's a walk that makes our Father happy. Parents, you know this feeling. Do you love your son or your daughter more or less? Do you love them less when they're walking in a way that you don't approve of? No. Does it make you sad? Yeah. There's a way for us to walk that makes our father happy and our father sad. Walk in a manner worthy of this calling, but remember... Yes, Christian, there's a right way to live. But remember, we've got to be reminded of this. Remember, remember, remember. Never forget. He saved us and loved us and forgave us and adopted us before we started walking. Are you with me? I got one of them. He does not adopt you because you walk the right way. Amen? Well, I guess if we understand. 
when we understand our calling and the gravity of how much God loves us as his sons and daughters, we will desire to walk a certain way to please our Father. Such an important distinction. Such don't, don't walk trying to earn love from your Father. You have it all. You don't have to earn anything. It's there. We walk because we're thankful for what our Father has done. I hope that is very clear. And so, and so, what is this walk? So Paul has a, he's a letter to a church very much like ours. Has struggles, ups and downs, and growing pains, and all kinds of things this church is going through that all churches for all time will go through. And Paul writes this letter and he says, don't forget, here's the gospel. And now, how do we walk as sons or daughters of the Most High God? Now we might think, okay, Paul is going to pull out, let's see, what would I do? How would I tell people to walk? Well, I would want people to behave the Ten Commandments. Paul's going to bust out the Ten Commandments. This is how you walk. He doesn't do that. When I think of walking, I think of, I think of my parents telling me, I didn't raise you that way. Anyone ever have parents tell them that? I didn't raise you. I raised you better than that. My mama didn't raise no fool. The Hodges family, we don't live like that. I don't know a lot about my family. This is the only thing that I know about my family. There's a rumor that my great-great-great-granddad owned all the land that would become Oklahoma City and he traded it for a mule and a gun. That's all I know. So I know the Hodges are kind of in our line. We have a tendency maybe to make bad decisions. Um, no, it's not what Paul doesn't say that. Maybe, if it were me, Ten Commandments, maybe I would say tithing. He's going to talk about tithing, what we do with our money. That's how we walk. No, those things are good. And we will do those things out of great, a grateful heart to God, influenced by the whole, yeah, those are good things. Walk in a manner worthy. That means sing these types of songs or do these styles of sermons. No, he doesn't say that. He says maybe dress code. Wear the right to, no, he doesn't say that. What does Paul say? What, for a church, what is a walk that is worthy of this glorious, graceful Grace-filled, merciful calling with which we have been called. What is a walk fitting for a child of God? Love your brothers and sisters. What is a walk worthy of the manner that we have been called as children of God? Love your brothers and sisters. Love your church family. He says, verse 1, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We need to treat our brothers and sisters as precious because they are precious to our Father. There are objects in my house that are precious to me. 
and I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and an 18-month-old. It is a full-time job to protect the precious things in my life from the precious children in my life. Do you know that feeling? The kids know to handle these things very carefully. I have a banjo. I'll play my banjo. And what do kids like to do with the banjo? When daddy's playing it, they like to come up and pow, 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 pop it. And I'll say, this is precious to daddy. Oh, okay, okay. We have a beautiful painting that Mallory's grandmother made of our wedding. It's gorgeous. Not just because I'm in it. It's gorgeous. It's precious. Every once in a while, the kids will come up and look and be reaching out. Don't you, don't you touch that. Why? That's precious to daddy. Oh, and so now that they know that word, when we say that, and these objects come out, when the banjo comes out, when the, when the paintings are there and they're looking at it, they kind of have this, oh. That's the banjo. Oh, that's the painting. Oh, Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) That's for another story, I guess. They know to be gentle with the things daddy takes as precious. And that extends to them. Every once in a while, I know they have a perfect mother, and they're pretty perfect themselves. Every once in a while, they might hit each other or fight with each other. Has that ever happened to your kids too? And when the conversation happens, the conversation is this. Don't hit my daughter. She is so precious to me. And you're precious to me too. Oh. What is precious to my daddy is precious to me because my daddy is precious to me. In the same way, church, The people you are sitting next to and across from and in the room with now are precious to your Father. So be gentle with them. Be gentle. See, we make mistakes sometimes in church to think, I'll, be pr- I'll, I'll treat you as precious when you treat me as precious. Or I'll treat you as precious when we line up on these thoughts or preferences or desires or when you don't rub me the wrong way. Then I will treat you as precious. Paul tells us, no, no, no. You for- when, you, when you act like that, you've forgotten your calling. Your calling is the Father adopted you through the blood of His only begotten Son. You are that precious to Him. So is this person and this person and this person. If they have been bought by the blood of Jesus, they are precious to the Father. And if I understand my calling, what is precious to the Father is precious to me. So He says, in church, we act humbly because of our calling. I was saved when I was deep in my sinfulness. I, have, I deserve nothing in this room. Jesus is everything. I cannot be prideful. I cannot look down my nose at you. I know my calling. Be gentle with one another. Be kind and careful with their hearts because they are purchased by the blood of Christ because your brothers and sisters are precious to your Father and your Father is precious to you. 
Have patience with one another. How I, why should I have patience? God has been patient with me. God has been patient with me. As his son, he, my father is precious to me. I need patience to me. I need to be patient with his sons and daughters. Paul says, bear with one another in love. Bear with one another. You know what that means? It's going to be hard to get along in church. It's going to be hard. Church hasn't been hard for the last two years, has it? Church is going to be hard. Guess what? It's always been hard. It's been hard for 2,000 years. The first church on the planet, Paul says, hey, you're going to have to bear with one another. Why? It's your family. Your family. We bear with one another. We act gently with one another. We love one another. We do not gossip about each other. We do not slander each other. We do not act maliciously toward each other. Why? Because we are sons and daughters of the Most High God and we find Him precious so we find each other precious. That is a manner of walking that is fitting for a child of God. The second thing, what is the walk fitting for the child of God? Unity, unity, unity. Unity, unity, unity. Unity, unity, unity. Biblical unity is a deep and strong connection between a church family based on the gospel alone. We can share preferences and opinions. We can share desires about a lot of things, but we are not united around those, pref- those preferences. We are united, Paul says, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? We are not united around preferences. We are united around Christ alone. Let's read verse 4 together. Are you ready? Sorry, verse 3. Get it verse 3. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity, unity, unity. Paul doesn't say be eager to be unified around music style or preaching style or color of the carpet or your favorite sports team or X, Y, and Z. Don't be unified around that. We are unified around the gospel alone. Listen to all these words. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Not one preference. Not one style, not one desire, one gospel. We're unified around one gospel. And he says, children of God walk fitting of our calling when we are eager to maintain this unity. Eager to maintain this unity. I know my own heart, and I've been in church for 36 years. We can be eager for a lot of things in church. We could be eager to get our way. We could be eager to get out the door and go home. We could be eager for lots of things. Paul says be eager to maintain unity. That is a way walking that is fitting for a child of God. 
And what we need to understand, and one of the things that's made these last two years difficult has been this, unity desires proximity. Do you get that? Unity desires proximity. He uses, at the end of the chapter, the, uh, his, one of his favorite images for the church, a body. One body. Members of a body. He says that over and over in the New Testament. Members of one body. A body desires proximity. If my arm suddenly flew off over there, we'd have a big problem, wouldn't we? We'd have an emergency. One of the images he uses is over and over is this body image, unity of purpose. A body has a unity of purpose, a unity of identity, a unity of work, a unity of mission. Unity, 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 unity. A body is not healthy when its parts are not together. Now let me tell you, this is not new information. This is not groundbreaking information. As we talk about what we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks, let me tell you a practical application for this unity and this proximity. All I've known in my church life is that we come to church and what we've liked to do these last 30 years or so is that we, we segregate the body where everybody come to church and the kids will be over here and the teenagers will be over here and college students will be over here and then young adults and normal adults, I don't know, and then <laughs> senior adults. Everybody is in their own category, their own places. And what we have found is a statistic that makes this hair step up, stand up on the back of my neck. What every church in America is trying to figure out is this. What has happened to our 17 to 25-year-olds? What's happened to them? Every church in America is saying, we grew up changing their diapers in the nursery, and when they hit 17, we start to lose this age group. At 17, 69% of kids who grew up in church are still in church. At 18, 58%. At 19, 40%. In their 20s, only 33% are still in church. What's going on? Everybody's asking that question, what's going on? And when we study this, every book, every article, every person, when they study this, they said, what keeps kids there? What about the, other, what the 30% that stays? What's different about them? And they'll say this, the number one thing at the top of the list, all these kids share in common is this, they have been unified with adults in their church. They have relationships. They know them beyond a handshake. An adult has took time to get to know them and pray for them and love them. They feel loved by the adults of their church. That's the number one thing. Unity and proximity is so vital to a healthy church. That's why Paul says, church, walk in a manner worthy of your calling by being unified like a body. We're going to get back to that. 
And finally, what is a manner of walking that is worthy of a child of God? Paul says this, help one another have Christ to the fullest. It's like anything else. When I find joy in the Kansas City Chiefs winning a football game, what am I going to tell you when I see you the next day? Hey, did you catch that game? Patrick Mahomes, the revived touchdown, did you catch that game? When you read a book that you just love, what's your first instinct? To talk to somebody about it. C.S. Lewis says, our joy is not complete until we try to share it with the world. In the same way, when we know our calling and when our Father is so precious to us, we will not be complete until we share it with other people. Some of us might be here and you come to church and do all these things. Man, this is just, there's something that's missing in my walk with Christ. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. Maybe it's serving your church, helping people see Christ to the fullest. This is what Paul says. This is what Paul says. Let's go verse 7. Are you ready? Be unified. And verse 7, be unified, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Spiritual gifts. Some of you will understand that language. Spiritual gifts have been given to us. And then he unpacks verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This was a prophecy about Jesus. He's going to come. And he's going to give gifts to men. It's these spiritual gifts from God. And then verse 11, and so he gave spiritual gifts to all of us and to the church he gave the apostles, verse 11, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why did he give these men and women? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, so look at this right here. We've got... Paul's saying, what's the manner of walking that's worthy of our calling? How do we express the joy that we found in God? How do we, how do we feel the fullness of Christ? He has given you, Christian, gifts. And he has given the church men who are apostles and teachers and pastors and deacons and elders. He has given men to equip you for work in ministry. What is my job? To open this up as best I can and to show it to you and to help you minister to your church. It's my job. That's my job description. That's the deacon's job description. Equip the saints in work in ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? So in our day-to-day Christian life, the Bible uses these, these kind of terms, filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that? It doesn't mean you can lose the Holy Spirit. 
be filled with Christ. Have you heard that? Christian, you cannot lose Christ. What does this mean? This is like a bucket that has a hole in it. We've got to be filled up with these things. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but he also uses language filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're walking around and we can be filled with Christ. You know this feeling when we're in the midst of sinfulness against our Father, we can feel empty. You feel that emptiness? It says be filled with Christ. And so Paul says our job, God has given you, Christian, you, yes, you, gifts. And he has given this church, yes, this church, pastors and deacons and teachers to do what? To build us up to the, so we could be filled with Christ to the brim. Be filled with Christ to the brim. And so we, we look at one another. We love you one another. We're, you're precious to me because you're precious to the Father. And I, if you're precious to me, the best thing I can do for you is to help you be full of Christ. That's the greatest thing I could ever do for you is to help you be filled with Christ. And so this place, this place is like a gas station. You pull up and we love you enough to fill you more with Christ every time we see you. And then you go out of these walls, you go live your life for Christ out there, and then you come in and we see you again. And sometimes you're filled to the brim, and sometimes we can see you and we can tell you're on empty. And that's okay. And we help you be filled again with Christ. And our job is to take my children and fill them with Christ. Our job is to take your teenagers and fill them with Christ. Our job is to take you as adults and fill you with Christ and the interesting thing is Christian you will not be filled with Christ if you are not helping other people be filled with Christ see how that works some of us are saying, man, I just can't figure out this Christian thing. I, I come to Christ. I'm saved by grace through faith. I, I love him, but there's still something off. Some of us, what's off is you are not helping others be filled with Christ, and you will never be filled with Christ until you are. God has given you a gift to help others receive Christ to the fullest. What might your gift be? Teaching or hospitality or service or mercy or faith or giving, all those things. I could tell you this. Here's one for sure. You can give the gift of your presence. You can give the gift of your presence. Paul will tell a young pastor in Timothy, he'll say, this is what you do. Healthy church, this is what you do. Tell the older men to be examples for the younger men. Tell the older women to teach the younger women. What does that require? Proximity, your presence. What have we said? Where's the 17 to 25-year-olds? Where are they? Well, it seems to be the case that one of the pieces to that puzzle is this. Adults, they need your gift of your presence. And so, 
Understanding this, that it's our job to equip you. Understanding this, that we will not be full of Christ until we help others be filled with Christ. Let's talk about what we're going to do the next couple of weeks. The next couple of weeks. So, Pre-COVID and during COVID, God laid on the heart of some of our Sunday school teachers and volunteers that now was the time for them to step away from their ministries. And do we want to be a church that won't let people do that? No, of course not. Of course not. Some of these people have been doing it for 20, 30 years faithfully. Yeah, if they feel that like God is calling, absolutely. And so what we found was we had this, uh, we, we had this environment where we had many of our folks who have stepped away. And we said, okay, so now is the time to talk about, pray about, and think about what does our Sunday morning discipleship, what does filling one another with Christ look like on Sunday morning for Trinity moving forward? And so the deacons and I and Darren and Bob, we got together and really prayed through and thought about what we can do, loving our brothers and sisters in unity and proximity and helping one another be filled with Christ. And so since these things are true, we had a few goals in mind. We wanted to bring as many of us together in as many ways as possible. We want to create an environment where you can be together in proximity and love one another and bear with one another and know one another. We wanted to create an environment where generations can love one another. We wanted to create an environment that allows more of us to use our gifts, even if it's the gift of presence, to help one another be filled with Christ. And we don't want to burn out our volunteers. And so, what we'd like to do, in two weeks, on the 29th of August, we're going to have discipleship on Sunday morning at 9.30 at Trinity. And this is what it's going to look like. This is, this is what we're going to try. This is what we're going to try. We're going to have two Sunday school classes, one in the fellowship hall and one on the third floor in the large room. These will be topical-driven classes. So these will be, you'll, you'll look at them, we'll tell you what's coming up, and you'll say, wow, uh, Christianity 101, following Jesus, that's what I want to hear. I need, I need some of that. And you'll be able to go to that Sunday school class. There might be one on, you ready? The book of Revelation. Ooh, no one's ever said that yet. I don't know if that's coming, but you might see that and go, ooh, I want to learn more about that. And that'll be on the third floor. That's where I'm going to be for that study. You're going to see those things. And these classes are not age-determined. Okay? These are not age-determined. That means we don't, have a, we don't have a normal adult class and a young adult class. Okay, these are not age-determined. You go where you think God is calling you so you can learn about what we are teaching. And so our youth, and we've reached out to many of our youth parents, and we bounce those ideas off of them as well, and they're excited to try this. So our youth will be meeting together in one of these classes. And so they'll still be together, they'll be with their friends, they'll be with Bob, and we'll, they will be around our adults, our senior adults, our, our young adults. They'll get to be around them. They'll get to hear their opinions, their ideas about things. They'll be able to know them. And we are hopeful this will do two things. We're hopeful first that your presence will make an eternal impact on these young people. 
And the second thing, we, ho- we are hopeful that this will cr- continue to create unity at Trinity. One of the things I always hear is, well, old, the, the old people think this way, and those young people think that way. Anybody ever said that in church? Don't raise your hand. Well, one of the reasons for that is we segregate by ages. Well, maybe we come together, we get to know one another. Maybe you hear about someone who lost their father, a young person who lost their father, and you come and you pray for them. It's going to be harder to be disunified with that person when you've been praying for them in that time of their life. And so that will be on Fellowship Hall, that will be on third floor. Also starting in two weeks, we wanted to find a, provide a clear, simple way for you to help our kids know Jesus. We want to provide a clear, simple way for you to help our kids know Jesus. We've been doing Awana on Wednesday nights. That is a great program. The kids love it. It is fun. It's, it's action-packed. And it is a great way for kids to memorize Scripture. And so what we are going to do, our children's uh, ministry on Sunday morning, starting on the 29th, will be Awana. And so they will come in. We have, we have leaders already in place to be on a rotation. And what we need from you is be praying about how you can help us in our children's ministry. And some of you are going, I can't teach. We're not asking you to teach. This is what we want you to do. On Sunday morning, the kids will come. They have their own booklet that gives them scripture to memorize. Your job on Sunday morning will be to come to listen to those kids memorize, to read it and see if they've memorized it. And if they haven't, help them. And if they have, sign off on them, move to the next section. Listen, I was an Awana listener. I was an Awana helper. If I was, anybody can be. So we need you. We need you. You have gifts. You have talents that God has given you. And so we think that this is worth a try. We think that this is worth a try. We think that we, we are excited about this. And we think that it is, it is going to glorify God. And so we hope you're getting excited about it too. We're just excited to be back together in that capacity again. Won't that be nice? That will be very, very nice. And so again, this is what we need. To make this work, we need you. We need you to be praying about not only attending. We need you there. Your presence is a gift to this church. We need your presence there, whether it's on the fellowship hall, whether it's on third floor, and we need you to be praying about helping out with our children's ministry. And listen, men, men, we need men to teach our children, to be with our children, to show them what a Christian man looks like. So we're praying that some of you, that God plays that on your heart. Okay. Everyone can be involved. Be praying about, ask the worship team to come up. Be praying about the 29th of August. We're going to be getting that started. It is going to be great. It is going to be excellent. We believe that God is going to do great things in the life of our kids, life of our adults, life of our teenagers. Be praying for that. Would you stand with us and would you worship our God together?